Climate change is the single greatest threat to a sustainable future. And many others, from politicians to religious leaders, from leading scientists to Hollywood elites, activists of all ages, they all seem to agree that climate change is the greatest existential threat to the survival of humanity. My question to you this morning: What about you? What do you see as the greatest threat to the survival of humanity? There can be a lot of answers to that, can't there? But better yet, as Christians, as followers of Christ, does He have anything to say about the greatest threat facing humanity? My hope this morning is that you will listen to the science. But in the end, I pray you will follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Eternal Father and our God, the privilege is ours to come before you this morning. And Lord, silence my voice. Remove my image. Let us hear from Jesus. Let us see Him high and lifted up this morning. And may we leave here glorifying You. We're asking this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to share with you some quotes this morning. Tell me what you think of these. Leonardo DiCaprio, climate change is real. It is happening right now. It is the most urgent threat facing our entire species, and we need to work collectively together and stop procrastinating. Greta Thunberg, 17. I want you to feel the passion in what she's saying. Adults keep saying we we owe it to the young people to give them hope, but I don't want your hope, she says. I don't I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. I want you to act. I want you to act as you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house is on fire. Because it is. Does anybody remember time back when we were dispassionate about the second coming of Jesus? Elon Musk, we are running the most dangerous experiment in history right now, which is to see how much carbon dioxide the atmosphere can handle before there is an environmental catastrophe. Bill Nye, the science guy. It is not that the world hasn't had more carbon dioxide. It is not that the world hasn't been warmer. The problem is the speed at which 
things are changing. We are inducing a sixth mass, mass extinction, every kind by accident, and we don't want to be the extinctee. They have said the last fifth, in the last 15 years, 12 of those have been the warmest on record since we've been keeping time. Do they have a right to be concerned? Are we concerned? Kofi Annan, another former Secretary General of the UN, the world is reaching the tipping point beyond which climate change may become irreversible. If this happens, we risk denying present and future generations the right to a healthy and sustainable planet. The whole of humanity stands to lose. Barack Obama, we are the first generation to feel the effects of climate change and the last generation who can do something about it. Alexander Cortez, we don't have time to sit on our hands as our planet burns. For young people, climate change is bigger than election or re-election. It is life or death. Desmond Tutu. 25 years ago, people could be excused for not knowing much or doing much about climate change. Today, we have no excuse. And finally, Pope Francis. Solving climate change, change means protecting the planet and vulnerable people. And we must hear both the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor. The time for seeking global solutions is running out. We can find suitable solutions only if we act together and in agreement. Do you hear the plea, the passion, the urgency in these quotes? Is the science wrong? Are all these leaders just feeding us a scary scenario just to get us to go along with some hidden agenda? I have heard from other prominent radio and TV personalities, some say that there is no such thing as climate change. They say the earth has always gone through cycles of warm and cold, hot and cold, and we are just going through a warming cycle right now. These people are just making a mountain, they say, out of nothing and their only hope is to destroy the United States of America. I'm hoping this morning as Christians, whenever we are faced with conflicting messages, such as what is the greatest existential threat to humanity, we would seek our God, the one who says he knows the end from the beginning, what does he have to say about all this?
Let's turn again to our scripture reading. First Corinthians chapter one. Verse 18 through 20, and then verse 5 of chapter 2. When it comes to the thing that's most important to the human race, where does God start? For the message of what? The cross. The cross is the most important thing. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made, the made foolish the wisdom of this world? And why has he made foolish the wisdom of this world? So that your faith, my faith, our faith should not be in what? Should not be in what? should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This morning, my question, are we still people of the word of God? I don't mean people who says, I hear what God has to say, but I think. The question is, are we still people of the word? That means, if God has said it, we will believe it, and that settles it. Are we that kind of people today? Because the path that we take, the stance that we take, how we see events that are transpiring right now in our world will be determined by whose wisdom you are deciding to follow. Can the world be facing an existential threat, a life-destroying event, and your God, my God, does not know anything about it? Or worse yet, could he know about it and not tell us about it? What does the word of God have to say about this question? Surely the Lord God does how many things? Nothing unless he reveals his secret to the servants, the prophets. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Indeed, the sovereign God, what? Never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. So again, the question is, can the world, can the earth be facing a life-threatening situation such like climate change, and the Lord our God has nothing to say about this? I say that would be impossible, or our God is not who he says he is. Have 
Has the world ever faced an existential threat, a life-changing threat before? Yes, it has. And God says, now all these things happened to them as what? Examples. And they were written for our admonition, for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. So what was that great existential threat that has happened before that God has recorded for us? We call that the flood. And our Bible in Genesis 6, 5 through 8 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. In other, way, in other words, what God was seeing broke his heart. We're told that Jesus died of a broken heart. But the Bible says that wasn't the first time his heart was broken. He was grieved at the pain and suffering his children were inflicting on one another. He said, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my, my brethren, what have you done? You have done it to him. So back in the days of Noah, God was experiencing every pain and suffering that they were inflicting on one another, and the Bible says they were doing this continually. So the Lord said, I will destroy man from whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry I had made them. According to God, why did this great existential threat come about? Why was the earth destroyed in Noah's day? The wickedness of man. The wickedness of man brought about the change in the climate back then. And they were written down to warn us who are living now. But the Bible goes on and says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Praise the Lord for his amazing grace. For if it wasn't for his grace back then, we would not be here today. I believe that grace is still shining forth because God has also said that wherever sin abounds, his grace does what? Much, much more abounds. So the question must be asked, how did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Was God just being partial with Noah, just saying, hey Noah, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to show you my favor, but everybody else know? How did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Very simple. Thus Noah did according to what? 
all that God commanded him, so he did. In other words, Noah found grace because he chose to follow God. You and I will still find grace today if we choose to follow God and not man. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what, they, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Are we understanding what this is saying? Ever since the creation of the world, man should have been clearly understanding what God has been up to, what God is all about. And yet somehow they chose not to. Is there a great existential threat that is coming upon the earth? The answer is yes. What does the Bible call this next great existential threat that is facing mankind? He calls it the second coming of Jesus. So why is the science just calling it climate change? The Bible goes on. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and, were, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. There is no reason we don't know that Jesus is coming soon. You know, back in the day, only Noah knew that. And he had to tell the whole world. It's amazing to me that it doesn't seem to matter how God deals with us. We have the same continual problem over and over again. Today, God has told almost everybody there is not one field in science, there is not one industry that doesn't realize something is about to happen. But because they refuse to glorify God, because they refuse to keep God in their conscience, because they insist on pushing God out of the public square, they will call it everything but the second coming of Jesus. We are living at that moment. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Yes, they faced an existential threat. And yes, we are facing another 
existential threat. So this morning, if, it, if things is like God says, that it's just like it was in the days of Noah, what is it that we can learn from the days of Noah? They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What does that say about our time? People will go on ignoring the signs until Jesus, the Bible says, will be coming to them as a thief in the night. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come to me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Who does the Bible say destroyed the earth? It was God, was it not? That means then, that CO2 emissions, carbon dioxide, is not going to destroy this planet. The continued use of fossil fuels is not going to destroy this planet because the planet was never destroyed by man in the first place. It was destroyed by God himself. And I believe God is trying to tell us the same thing again. It's him we have to look to. Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will willfully forget. They intentionally choose to forget. They are deliberate in pushing God out of the public arena. They willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then exists perished, being flooded with water. Science doesn't want to hear the word of God. So they have come up with all sorts of ways in which this earth has come about. But we have to decide, are we going to listen to the word of God? Or are we just going to listen to what man says? And I say, you can listen to what the science has to say. They know something is going to happen. But if you want to survive what is coming, we need to listen and follow God. Peter goes on and says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. This world that we are living in now, God has 
promised us he will preserve it by his word. Is your God faithful? Because my God is faithful. And if he says he's preserving it, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire. Is the science right? Climate change is coming. Absolutely. Is it going to be warming? Absolutely. It's going to be with fire, God says. It's reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will come upon those who refuse to acknowledge, who refuse to see the signs that he has given us. It will come upon them as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. To prevent climate change would be to prevent the coming, the second coming of Jesus. Can we prevent climate change? The answer is no. We cannot prevent climate change, but can we survive climate change? The answer is yes. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and we too can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Peter goes on and says, Nevertheless, we, According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and without blemish. As Christians, our focus is not on trying to preserve and sustain this old world. Peter says, we have a better focus. We're looking forward to new heavens and new earth. So my question to you is, where is our passion? You saw the passion of those who think it's their job to save us from climate change. Do we see it as our job to save the world from climate change? Where is our passion? I hope we will not be found like many marrying and being given in marriage, acting as if everything is the same as, as it has always been. God wants us to have an urgency about us, even more than those who realize that climate change is coming. We are supposed to have a greater passion than those who think they can do something about it. 
We can listen to the science, but we can't listen to their solutions because their solution is godless. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. There is no need for us to be panicking like the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. It's interesting to me how I want to share with you a couple quotes now from two religious leaders talking about the end. Pope Francis says, the problem is urgent. Never have we so hurt and mistreated our common home as we have in the last 200 years. We must all change our day-to-day -day actions to live more sustainably. Reducing greenhouse gases require honesty, courage, and responsibility. On a larger scale, our leaders must be held to account. Who is he relying on to solve this problem? Our leaders. Those who will have to suffer the consequences will not forget this failure of conscience and responsibility, referring to the leaders. Solving climate change means protecting the planet and vulnerable people. And we must hear both the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor. Let's skip through this. The problems are big and urgent. But hope remains if we act in honesty and love. Humanity still has the ability to work together in building our common home. Truly much can be done. So one of the greatest religious leaders of our time says we need to work together in order to prevent climate change. Is he right? Is he wrong? Another one of our religious leaders, Ellen G. White, this is how she sees the end of time. The world is selfish. Shall we show that no change has taken place in us in this respect? In other words, as Christians, are we going to continue to live as it was in the days of Noah? If we are not Christians in word and deed, what answer shall we make to the ignorant, the ones who think they can do something about climate change? Who will say sometime when it is too late, and you knew all these things? You Christians, you Seventh-day Adventists, you guys knew how this was going to end? And you did not tell us? You did not try to reclaim us 
Though you knew that we would perish in our sins unless we obeyed the truth, why were you so indifferent? Why did you not urge upon us the things which you knew? Why are we not as passionate as the world is about climate change? Why are we not doing more to make sure more ignorant people are not going to Christ-less graves? She goes on. The Christian church is to be his, Christ's instrumentality, to be used in his hands. Worldliness, selfishness, corruption require patient, earnest, persevering labor in order to save the world from this great existential threat. We must be in perfect what? Contrast to the world. If the world is saying this is the solution, Christians, we are to be in perfect contrast. We are to be completely opposite them. Selfishness is what caused it in the first place. Selfishness must die and Christ must live in us. Success does not depend on our numbers, but on our fitness for the work and our having a right relation to God. Can it get any clearer than that? In closing, let me clarify what I am saying and what I am not saying. (laughs) I believe climate change is real because the second coming of Jesus is real. You can listen to the changing science. One decade they're telling you the ice age is coming, the next they're telling you it's, it's going to be burning up. You can listen to the changing science. But I'm urging you to listen to the God who does not change. I'm not saying what science has to say is not beneficial. I'm saying what God has to say is more beneficial. I'm not saying science is never right. I'm just saying God is always right. I'm not saying science can't help you navigate your way through life. I'm just saying never lose sight that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not saying science can't tell you what is wrong. I'm saying only God can fix what is really wrong in us. If the leper could change its spots, we could stop being wicked people. 
We can't. We need a Savior. I am not saying science cannot warn us about dangers like a pandemic that's going to sweep across the world. What I am saying is that God and only God can give you that peace in the midst of this. I believe we should listen to the science. But family, please, please, please let us follow God. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we live in a world that seems determined to erase you from our presence. They seek to push you out of every arena of their lives. Father, forgive us. We know not what we do. We live in a world, O Lord, that we think we have the answers. We have to solve these problems. Help us to realize that without you, we are nothing. Father, Give us the passion of Jesus. Give us a stronger desire, O Lord, to proclaim it from every mountaintop. Not only that Jesus saves, but that he is coming again. And he's looking for a people who will be ready. He's looking for a people who will accept his grace. We're told God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble us before you today. Take away our pride. Take away our arrogance. And make us teachable again, O Lord. We need to hear from you, Lord Jesus. Help us to hear. Help us to be more than just hearers of your word. Help us to be doers of the word. Help us to love one another as you loved us. Forgive us, O Lord, for being so caught up in the cares of this world that we forget this place is about to burn up. And all these things will come to nothing. Forgive us, O Lord, for not setting our eyes on a heavenly Canaan. Forgive us, O Lord, for not looking for the city whose maker and builder is God. Forgive us for not taking you at your word. 
But Lord, I thank you. I thank you that where all this sin, where all this mess of ours is abounding, your grace is much more abounding. And so, Lord, your grace is still sufficient for all of us. When we are weak, you are still promising to be strong. And so, Lord, help us to stay grounded and secure in you. Thank you for not leaving us unto our own devising. Thank you that with loving arms you are still drawing us. May we experience that draw. May we experience that conviction. And may we respond to you, Yes, Lord, here I am. Send thou me. Thank you again for all that you do. I ask these things and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.